The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. of the business podcast i am your co-host jp john paz from the two man power trip of wrestling and here on episode number four we bring in the other co-host of the show the man behind trump mania he is mr lavi margolin lavi how you doing today sir i'm doing great episode four a new hope <laughs> it is just flying by uh, you know i was just thinking about when we were conceiving the idea we were putting together the first one I was like Wow, shit, we're on episode four already. Damn, I love it. And as you guys can see, we're working right through the holidays. So um, if you need a, a break from the family or from the festivities, just come on over, listen to uh, the latest episode, or go back into the archives. That's right. We're not gonna we're not gonna stop just for the holidays, even though um, you know we have nothing against the holidays. We love the holidays, but we're gonna keep on working. We're gonna give you some entertainment. We're gonna give you something to listen to, something to enjoy. And today we're gonna be rethinking major live event touring. What will pro wrestling touring look like for the WWE post coronavirus? Would outsourcing to a company like Feld be strategic? WWE India an exclusive gaming market? New international TV deals. What is NAWA strategy in booking the big venues? A lot of stuff. I actually have some behind-the-scenes stuff that I didn't even mention to you about NAWA that I desperately wanted to talk to you about. But where do you want to kind of start off? This is a, a great topic, and I love this kind of rethinking the major live event touring. So I think it's nice to sort of point towards the future. Uh, obviously, we're in a difficult situation right now with coronavirus. Uh, but one, one day, um, live events will be possible. And I want to think about how uh, that might be developed um, you know, when, when things could, could go on. Because it seemed like the uh, WWE model um, of the past wasn't working so well. When the quarterly reports would come out, um, it would show live events. And um, often it was a negative. Of course, there were some positives to it not reflected when you think about it because they would sell merchandise at the venue or it's a good way to sort of connect fans to the product. But when you're thinking about live events in and of itself and it's not making money and you're pushing the talent around, four shows, four shows, four shows in an endless loop, you know, you have to think about ways of doing things better. The live event market, obviously, right now is just non-existent. There, nobody's touring, nobody's doing much. You see some small indie shows pop up here and there. But it's interesting when something pops up on the radar, like when a live event tour is scheduled, it's like either a red flag or it's like, you know, uh, somebody's waving to you like, hello, look over here. We've got something going on. And then you kind of just like subconsciously like, 
why what are you doing like what are you really running a show is is this should you be doing it obviously you know you can with health protocols but these are shows that are going to have fans and when WWE kind of said they were going to do a post wrestlemania european tour i was like seriously are they going to be able to do it is coronavirus not that bad in europe i mean what's kind of your take on this whole thing yeah it's kind of hard to imagine right now with something like live events even if you don't announce it it tends to be something you have to book like months if not like a year in advance um, we've seen sometimes with lawsuits that um, they've had to reveal their schedule for a variety of reasons and you see like 18 months ahead it's like fun to see oh they're gonna be in the westchester county center and you know whatever the date is so that's fun to see so we often don't hear about it till a few months before but they're um their schedule is is out. It's on Ticketmaster for live events. They usually do a post-WrestleMania European tour, I think, for the last 30 years. Um, I remember pictures of Yokozuna and Hulk Hogan's last uh, matches, um, you know, was, was a European tour. So, you know, they're, they're going through Great Britain, um, Cardiff, Sheffield, um, Sheffield, uh, Newcastle, Glasgow, Germany and, and so on. So there's about 10 shows there. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll come off, but it's interesting to see that they're already sort of planned. Um, I think about European shows differently. So even if maybe they'll rethink um, the way that they do touring in the US, European shows, I think, are sold shows. Um, so that means that a promoter in Europe pays for the show. So the show is guaranteed to make whatever amount of money they might be able to keep some of the merchandise, but it's sort of like a safe bet. And the Saudi Arabia shows are all quote unquote sold shows as well. Oh yes. Those will be continuing as long as they can keep it going. Um, the estimates sometimes are 25 to 50 million. I believe uh, we'd have to ask uh, Brandon of WrestleNomics for those exact numbers that he does a great job with. But um, that's sort of the most lucrative um, thing that the company does all year after um, television rights. So it's even bigger than WrestleMania in a lot of ways now. So those, I imagine, will continue. Things like the European tour will continue. But what about, you know, thinking about um, events in the U.S.? So I know New Zealand and Australia not really letting people in and out. And New Zealand is on the list for July. Is it going to be open back then? Is it just such an unpredictable thing? They just putting it out there like they'd like to do that show because it right now just I know it's you know six months seven months away, but it just looks like okay they're just throwing it out there to make it look like they still have a live event a business, but they really are not going to do this tour. You know, unfortunately, the news out of Europe now is that um, the coronavirus is taking on another strain that's more aggressive. Um, uh, it seems like that the vaccines will, will work on this. Oh my gosh! If it doesn't work, I don't know what to do. We'll be um, we'll be broadcasting from Mars or something to get away <laughs> from it. Uh, you know, not even you know dark humor, I guess. But so hopefully that that ends um, at some point. It'll end. So I mean, hopefully November, please. You know, uh, we could go to New Zealand. Maybe they'll invite us to um, and Germany uh, as well in November. So I think the. The European um, post-WrestleMania tour is a little bit shaky. Hopefully, you know, July and, and November is viable for, for touring the world. When you look at when, you know, they do the touring and you look at the overseas market, sometimes, like especially with Impact Wrestling, when they used to go to the UK years back, it was like that was like their one profitable tour. That was the one time they did great. And it's funny. It's like, do you almost want to do more? 
of the European tours. I know you you might saturate the market, you might kill it a little bit, but you make so much profit and make so much money. Maybe that's just an idea as long as coronavirus isn't bad. Maybe that's just an idea of, okay, we really, really want to make it, uh, you know, a, a nice splash, make a ton of money. European market's a pretty good one for the most part. Right. Um, and, you know, when Impact was was struggling here, but they would pop in Europe, I think it was Kevin Sullivan on um, one of the MLW broadcasts that um, had brought up, you know, that idea that it would be a good idea to relocate um, to Europe. Um, but the idea was certainly out there. But I think the, the challenge is that it's sort of um, once you come somewhere once or twice a year, it's super special. And that might be something they can get back to we can talk about in the states but you know we saw those pictures after the fall of the soviet union or maybe towards the end of the soviet union and there'd be rock stars going to russia and you'd see like whatever it is 150,000 people in like a gigantic open square or huge arena or something if they went there every six weeks i mean if they're a popular band i'm sure they do well but you don't lose something to it so it's sort of like what is wrestling and how is it best positioned and in some ways it's best positioned as a very unique attraction you know don't miss it it's coming once a year or every two years but or sorry every couple of years but um but then there's something to be said for regular touring and sort of establishing yourself in the market i think there was some weakness happening with wwe's ticket sales in europe over the last several years as as they toured more consistently and it wasn't as special and it would sort of soften to where it nearly looked like the american market so the most important question may be does that mean that the rise of ticket prices is going to happen? I mean, you're going to do these shows. You might have less people or there might be some coronavirus social distancing going on. So does that mean the prices are going to skyrocket for the tickets that are available? For the current shows, um, I think that it's full arena setups. That would be a good question. They should have looked up. But I think it's set up you know, in a regular way. But that that's a good question sort of like as we return to closer normalcy do you do a social distancing type of setup i would sort of you know if you can i would wait till you know everyone feels comfortable going because then you have not only the challenge of marking the event but what percentage of people um, would actually be comfortable going that's another thing it seems like AEW, I know they only sell between 700 and 1,000 tickets for their show. Obviously, Daily's Place fits, I think, if I remember correctly, Daily's Place fits around 10,000, doesn't it? Somewhere around there? Um, it's it's pretty big. I think it's like five or, or 6,000. Okay. Depends on like if it's a concert or whatever it is going on. Okay. Well, I guess uh, 6,000 probably. We'll just say, let's, and, there, and it's only 1,000 tickets they're selling or 700 tickets, whatever it may be, but they're having a problem selling those tickets. I mean, this was a few weeks back. They had some issues, obviously, when uh, Omega and Moxley was announced, and then Sting returned for a few weeks, helped tickets. But that's even crazy because those fans are really, really loyal, and they were even not coming to the shows. So that's got to be something you got to think about, too. Okay, we run these shows. We're only going to sell a certain amount of tickets, maybe charge a little bit more, maybe not. But how many people are actually going to show up if AEW had problems? No, right. I think there's two interesting questions there. It's sort of like, do you play off your most loyal fans and sort of like have tickets be more expensive and maybe have less people there? Or, you know, try and go broadly. I remember for Madison Square Garden forever, like the Knicks would already be like several hundred dollars um, at least. And then you'd have like 
WWF. And if you got to the box office quick enough uh, at the previous show, you might get great seats like floor seats, um, you know, just a few rows back or like great seats in the 100s for 20 to $50. And, you know, big time shows were already several hundred dollars by then. So they caught up a lot with that. Um, in terms of sort of like basing yourself in a market regularly, like week to week, you know, that's been a challenge, I think, ever since the territory days, you know, you'd have um, Memphis would, would go up and down a lot um, before it sort of dropped off in the early 90s. But from the late 70s to the to like 1989 or something, if there was a good attraction, you could sort of build to that and do really well. If there is not, you do decently, but not get people all the time. But now it seems like with pro wrestling, um, even, you know, with the big. Um, companies that if you base yourself somewhere for too long, people get a little bit tired of it and it's hard to sell tickets to it, um, which is interesting as we're going to talk about in a little while. But something, a company like Feld, which um, their main promotion had been Ringling Brothers um, because of you know animal rights issues and such, um, they moved away from that and they do things like Disney on Ice motocross monster jam but when you think about the kids shows let's say disney on ice they'll come to brooklyn position themselves for two weeks and then maybe come back one other time during the year or maybe just once a year so you know that all of the marketing is put on those two weeks they have a couple of shows a day and then they're out of town so who is feld so feld is a big corporation they're so they had bought the rights to Ringling Brothers years and years ago. Um, and then um, that was sort of like their main touring promotion. As sort of um, the circus struggled, they sort of diversified more before moving totally away from the circus. Um, so they um, have the rights to Monster Jam, Motocross. But then they also, um, so some people might think about that as um, sort of a crossover with pro wrestling. That's always been like a little bit hit and miss. Um, WCW would like sort of try and tie that in, but it didn't always work. But then they have things that they license from. So most notably for the last 40 years, um, they're the ones that hold the Disney on Ice show. So they are a company that had been willing to license known brands. They understand the formula for um, bringing fans to that to events and marketing to them. And um, they market the brand. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they're struggling during coronavirus, but up until this point, they do that really well. So one of the things that I've been thinking about was if WWE's live event touring isn't um, profitable, let's say um, they would retain certain dates. Of course, the major events like pay-per-views keep the European and international touring and maybe keep some dates like um, the holiday week, unfortunately, which isn't happening this year, but then license to Feld WWE live events. And I've been thinking about what that would mean. And maybe something that would work best would just be have a WWE live event touring show where you don't market any specific wrestlers and people, families come to see WWE, whatever that means. And you can actually have tours all of the time in a way that's strategic um, to where, you know, you might um, have two or three of the bigger television stars. Uh, you might have some younger upcoming wrestlers where it's, you know, they could do the more high flying acrobatics. Um, you could have, uh, you know, older wrestlers, sort of like people 
get to feel that they meet them. So like you could re-envision things. It doesn't always have to be this constant, like get on the road for two days, get off the road. So you can sort of like pitch a tent, like in um, particular uh, travel areas, like, uh, like in New York or Vegas or Orlando for a certain amount of time. And you market that really well, and then you get out of there. But you also protect the health of the wrestler. So it's not necessarily that's the same wrestler that's going to be doing two days, uh, two times a day for two weeks. But you cycle that out. So that's one way that I've been thinking about it. The other way is either if they retain it or if they employ a company like Feld would be do touring like they do in Japan that makes sense, right? So you get on the, like, let's say two or three times a year. You get on the road for three weeks. You have two shows a day. You have luxury buses. You know, you have everything taken care of. Um, you cycle the talent in and out. So nobody is wrestling, you know, several days in a row or more than once a day. But you do this consistently rather than, you know, having people fly in and out, be driving on dangerous conditions, wearing out their bodies. But it's, you know, doing it in a way that makes sense and actually maximizes revenue, too. When you do these tours, is it going to be, or right now, I guess, really should say, is it in their contract that they have to do a certain amount of tours, certain amount of dates? I'm guessing that would be in there. So are they going to be paid anything extra to do these tours? Or, or like, how does that work money-wise financially for the wrestlers? Right. <laughs> Excuse me. As far as I know, um, it's a certain amount of guaranteed dates a year, um, depending on the wrestler, maybe like, 200 dates so if you didn't have the dates you'd have the guaranteed minimum which the company really protects themselves on um but if it was going to be a different style of tour you can still um you know have it peak towards uh, a certain amount of dates like they do now or sort of think about it um in different ways when you look at the way a live event touring was doing it and it would be wb and maybe you see a picture of Roman Reigns, or maybe a few years ago, you see a picture of John Cena or something. Triple H has said, and I guess Ryback is the one that really kind of put it out there and put the story out there, that when they have the WB, they want just the WB name out there. They're tired of building up these big stars only for the big stars to leave to Hollywood and wherever else. So, you know, we got The Rock. Oh, well, The Rock left. Steve Austin was looking at Hollywood while he was in WB. You know, obviously Hogan did some Hollywood. Uh, John Cena is doing some Hollywood. Is is that playing a role into this as well? When the way you're looking at it, and the way that they possibly might want to scale it, they don't want the, you know, the John Cena's the world being the, the the brand. They want WB being the brand and who you go to see, and it doesn't really matter who's on the show. Yeah, so I'm sort of working on on where we are now as opposed to where I think things should be. So it has become something like the brand, and they're able to cycle stars in and out. Um, I feel that the actual wrestlers are the most important part, and stars that do break through to a certain level, like a Roman Reigns, or um, to a bigger level, of course, at this point, a John Cena or, or above him, like a Rock, that's the way to grow the business, right? Like, if you were to have a um, a pro skating tour and it includes Tony Hawk, obviously you're going to do much better just because he's, you know, if anyone was going to name anyone from pro skating, you know, that's who they would know, right? You have people like that. Hulk Hogan was really like that with wrestling and in some way still is for people of a certain age. So 
I think that you want to have stars that break through because it appeals to the masses more. But if you are focusing on the brand, why not go all in on that and take advantage of that? You know, you have to develop with a company like Feld or internally a show that's really appealing and enjoyable for two hours. Um, and um, people go home happy and they feel that they got more than what they came to see. And then, you know, you could really re rethink um, the way that touring is done. When you look at WB and kind of, you know, with the names, I feel like when I was a kid, I mean, I, I, I love going to WB shows, but obviously Hogan's on there. I'm, I'm very interested in Hulk Hogan. Ultimate Warrior is on there. I'm very interested in seeing the Ultimate Warrior. And obviously, you know, the other guys too, you, you like them all, especially then they had so many more better stars or bigger stars. So they, the, the brand was interesting, but always was interested with who's on the marquee. They don't think that'll hurt live businesses or live events when when that returns do they don't think that's going to hurt their business i feel like it is a really great thing to have but they just haven't been sort of leaning on that for a long long time um even when they come out with cards they change so much that you know if you are planning to see a certain title defended or you know, new team up or something like that, it's it's bound to change. And also most people are conditioned to know that it's very unlikely that a title will change hands off of television unless it's maybe the 24-7 title. Um every once in a while they'll they'll sprinkle in um a title change or two to you know to keep people on their toes. But most of the time you know that um it's uh you know it's not gonna happen and the show um doesn't have consequences, which is a challenge in itself. Um so it's become just coming for the show, enjoying the show as a self-contained experience. And when you're marketing the brand, that works. So let's just say you're a you're a youngster and it's 1989 and it says WWF on the marquee and Hulk Hogan is appearing in the main event. So going to make you more likely to see the show. I'm going to guess. Yes. Yes, definitely. I mean, when they were really leaning on sort of the the top stars and making sure that those were promoted well, like, you know, the difference between Hulk Hogan headlining Madison Square Garden and my favorite, you know, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. Unfortunately, when he did headline, it didn't it didn't draw well, which, you know, I'm, I'm sad to say. So you did have that um, flip flop. But there was also and I wasn't even aware of this in the 80s that there were the B and C shows. So I, I noticed, of course, that, you know, not every star would be on every show. I thought that was just, um, you know, a natural thing. But I didn't realize that they were sort of like moving them around the country in different ways. And sometimes when you um paid for a show back then you sort of expected everyone you wanted to see to be on there which is a challenge it's sort of a challenge for rock bands that have been around for 40 years too because everyone wants to hear their favorite song but you know they can't play everyone's favorite hey, just think about all like yeah they should have b shows and c shows and stuff but you know they'll, they'll have a lot of a smaller show like the c show might be in high school or something you know um, the A show obviously is going to be MSG or Boston Garden or uh, East Rutherford over at the Meadowlands. I mean, it's going to be the, the, probably the bigger place. The B will be a little bit smaller and the C will be a lot smaller. Right. But, you know, even if you had like whoever it was, uh, a mid Carter or the Intercontinental Champion, if you wanted to see them, it might be a little bit disappointing if you didn't. But if you have the main headliner, then you're probably going home happy. Now, if all this major touring by the WB stops and let's just say they're only going to do a few tours here and there. They've fired a lot of the live event 
business in their company, a lot of the employees. So does this leave room for a smaller company to pick up all the markets that their WWE is no longer running? Yeah. So I've been thinking about that. Um, you know, if you pick up shop and you move out and, um, you know, it's a market that, you know, has a thirst for wrestling. I think if you have stars that had been on television not long ago and would be appealing for people in those markets to see, you could do well. Um, a company that really comes to mind, NEW, Northeast Wrestling, which has been around for 25 years, um, you know, they draw really well at, at times when they bring in some well-known stars to baseball under the stars or, or something like that a few times a year. So, you know, if you're not going to have WWE touring um, in these towns as much, I think there's a real um, opportunity there. I know that when... WWF sort of moved away from some of their, um, you know, smaller markets, sort of like, let's say, like Allentown, um, some like the AWA or, or even, you know, some independents tried to sort of pick up that slack and say, hey, we have pro wrestling, but it didn't resonate as much. So it sort of has to be done carefully and um, sort of tested to see what works. Um, I think one thing that the company should think about, you know, even though, they're obviously doing well financially without live events is consider sort of, will there be a thirst for live events at least for a while after people feel comfortable that coronavirus is over, right? Like if you haven't seen pro wrestling for a year and a half and it's coming to town, you might do really well. So like they might want to tour, you know, sort of keep the system that they have for, you know, 18 months afterwards to see how things go before making final decisions on anything. But like you said, they've, they've kind of moved away from having live events people, but, you know, you lose some institutional knowledge there and it wouldn't be easy, but, you know, that's um, a department that you could certainly build back up. Imagine how many live events professionals, unfortunately, are on the market now that are looking for work. When you think about it, let's just say AEW is going to, I don't know, WWE is not doing any live events in New York or something. AEW can just kind of go in, maybe scoop up that market if it's business feasible and if they can make some money off of it. You think that WWE would start touring again if, let's say, AEW starts doing some touring and they see like, OK, they're trying to cannibalize some of our, our hometown or some of our places in the Northeast or places that we used to frequent all the time. And now they're, they're starting to gain some traction. You think WWE would boom, go right back into doing live events if they saw AEW or somebody else was successful at it? I think they would be reactionary about it. You're right to sort of stave off other companies from getting a foothold, but it's also something that has to be planned because, you know, you have to book these arenas, whatever it is, 18 months out. So you can't jump back in unless the venue is is open and, and you're not busy and can sort of get all the talent together. But I think it would be something that they think about. They're always looking to sort of like counter program or sort of um, go up against something that they perceive as a threat. If these smaller places do kind of start doing live events and are successful at it and people start coming back to wrestling, I think that's only good for the business and I think that would be great and it would just be phenomenal, but it might be wishful thinking. I don't know. It might be uh, far-fetched because it just seems like, man, I hope they don't lose their audience and I just hope they don't lose people because the live event business used to be the, the life of wrestling. A lot of things have changed, but it's one of the things like, man, I hope they don't uh, start losing fans left and right because 
that would really, really be a boost to the business. And it would be really kind of cool for us to go back and start doing some live shows again. Yeah, I think there's definitely money to be made in live events. They just have to rethink things, reimagine them. Um, you know, the way they were doing it before, it didn't make sense because the talent and, you know, they were losing money. And to book, you know, these big, big venues, just to say you're utilizing the biggest venue in the town. But if you can only draw 5,500 to a 20,000-seat arena, maybe there's a 7,000-seat arena that's a little bit older. It's not as prestigious to say you're there, but you'd make a lot more money. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that we definitely can cover. I want to talk about, but since we're talking about arenas and booking these big venues and really kind of booking venues that are so far beyond your reach and really doesn't make sense. So NAWA booked a huge show. They booked the ocean center down in Daytona beach, Florida, which was the home of bash of the beach, which was the home of a bunch of WW shows. And of course, for those shows, they were sold out selling, you know, 8,000 tickets plus and really doing well. This show in a COVID time with a promotion that really nobody's ever heard of outside, you know, hardcore wrestling fans, NAWA, they decide to run back on the 19th, a big, huge show, quote unquote, at the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida. This is kind of just crazy, even looking at it, thinking about it. What was your kind of thoughts? And, and, and I know you were following this story as well. Yeah, I'm definitely following it. I was trying not, not to seem like I was dunking on them or something or trying to be overly negative. I just didn't understand it as much. And, you know, um, I even got tagged in, in one of the events, I guess, to help spread the word and glad to do that. But I just didn't understand it. And um, Mike Johnson had something in, in the report or on PW Insider that there was 150 people, but that might have been exaggerated. And yeah, I was told it was 75. 75. Okay, I would. I, I think that that makes sense, um, just in terms of uh, the screenshot that I had, and um, you know the the way seating was distanced. So, you know, thinking about it in a variety of perspectives. So, firstly, I'm sure the arena wasn't as expensive as it normally is. Now, if you were expecting a crowd of some sort, you know, you would have to socially distance, like you mentioned. So let's say they're planning to set it up for 1,200 or 2,000. You know, that would still be a lot bigger than I would expect. Um, but, you know, if it's cheaper and you're setting it up to be careful, that makes a little bit more sense. I'm trying to think about, you know, okay, it was a holiday show. Usually holiday shows do well. But then it comes down to the marketing and the, and the talent. So um, I'm looking forward to hear what you know, because I've, I've heard some names that had been attached that no longer were that I think you know. But um, but generally, like the only name that sort of made it, and I think he made it, you know, um, the, um, of course, um, uh, Harry, Harry Smith, uh, the bulldog. Um, was was the best known name and everyone else seemed you know some of their names were more than regional but they didn't seem like they would draw um and when it was compared to you know the show aired on fight and when it was compared to something on on the independent pro wrestling that limitless wrestling which you know they've never been bigger than the britches as they say they sort of they built a really good following on YouTube and they have buzz and the wrestlers that they booked had buzz. Um, that seemed to make a lot more sense than going for a gigantic arena. But, you know, I will admit, you know, I don't always know um, <laughs> when Cody Rhodes talked about booking a 10,000 seat building for ring of honor a few years ago, which ultimately became all in. I said, 
I don't think right now, but right timing, right match, right, right circumstances. So sometimes you have to go for it, but this one just didn't seem to make much sense to me. And it's crazy because it seems like you'd spend so much money on production and stuff being able to put that whole show together. I don't know. Just like looking at it, it's like, whoa, like that's crazy. Like that place can hold 8,000 to 10,000 people. And this is kind of like an unknown indie league that really has no you know, momentum or popularity right now. Like, like how is this possible? How are they going to do it? So the list of people that were advertised but were canceled and didn't show up, Kevin Sullivan, Jimmy Hart, Brian Nobbs, Jerry Sags, Afa Jr., Alofa, The Blood Hunter, Teal Piper, and there's a bunch of other ones, including Just Incredible and Amber Nova. So, I mean, it was like some pretty big <laughs> names to kind of uh, throw out there and then not have them show up. I mean, that's just bad business. Yeah, I think if it was like if you had some of those people and they, you know, were consistently advertised and it seemed like that they would actually be there, you know, I think there's a, a bit of a market for nostalgia and pro wrestling isn't running. So like something like that, if I felt it was safe, like in my neighborhood, I, you know, I'd come check it out. But to have all these names that nobody heard of, it, it just didn't make much sense to me. And I mean, sometimes you get sort of like... um a spark years ago. So NAWA, you know, they have a few claims to fame. So one of them was that they helped uh, Joey Styles get started as, as an announcer. And I was reading on, on the Insider that it was the ECW production crew that used to work with NAWA when they were on Sports Channel America. But they once had a show in the Westchester County Center in 1999, sort of like when the business was its hottest, with Sid. And they had, I think, Bruno Sammartino as a special guest. So in a market that's always really good for pro wrestling, they paid a lot of money for talent and they did really well. But, you know, 21 years later, that would be very hard to replicate in a circumstance like this. And um, not necessarily would they have to have learned the lesson, but it doesn't seem they did because they booked um, a big venue or an older venue for, for pro wrestling in, um, in North Carolina for two shows, um, you know, after the new year, which will both be pay-per-views. It's crazy that Fight TV is putting this on when it's such a small, like, kind of unknown league. Yes, you know, 22 years ago, whatever it was, 30 years ago, actually almost 30 or 28 or almost 30 years ago, whatever, um, they had Joey Styles and Ron Buffone and Charlie Bersese who ended up going to ECW. Yeah, that's all great and good, but, like, what have they done recently, and why would you think you could run these huge places, and why would you, how could you even possibly sell the bill of goods of being on Fight TV, it's just really crazy. I know Gangrel was on the show and Bull Dempsey, but he had 12 guys or even more that were canceled or didn't show up, and it's just crazy. And what I've heard from a few of the guys that I know very well, that they were called and told the show was going to be canceled. So they canceled all the flights, and they were told the show was going to be canceled. There was not enough interest, not enough people there. So that was even a weird thing, too, because I know – um, Hannibal from Hannibal TV said he was going to be filming a ton of interviews there. So I was like, oh, wow, like, oh, interesting. And that's a very popular YouTube channel. So I was like, wow, that's that'll be interesting. And he said, like, a bunch of flights uh, got canceled. And the promoter told a bunch of the guys that uh, it was the show was going to be canceled for lack of interest. And obviously it wasn't canceled. Hmm. I wonder if it was sort of like a way of getting out from some of the side contracts for the night. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, you know, if you guaranteed somebody, whatever it is, $2,500 and you tell them it's going to be canceled and they cancel their flight and then you don't follow up with them, maybe you'll think they'll forget about it or 
definitely want to follow up. I'm I'm just speculating NWA team. So we'd love to hear, you know, the, the full story um, in whatever uh, capacity you'd like to share it. We're just kind of trying to figure out sort of like a postmortem of what happened and your plans moving forward. I mean, I don't know, you know, the owners at all or much about them besides, you know, what's on the website and their history. But, you know, maybe they've done really well in their other businesses and they're having some fun with this and, Hey, you know, if, if this is what, what floats your boat and makes you happy, you know, all for it. Supposedly, uh, as a fan told me, the owner was posting pics in a strip club all week and wasn't really promoting the show, which is, that was kind of just a funny little line I got from a fan, but I was like, that's a kind of weird way to go about it. Not really promoting your show, but posting other pics of some, you know, fun, maybe some fun activity you, you're having. Um, obviously kind of, get the vibe not taking it too seriously about running this big venue or not worried about it. I wonder if they got it dirt cheap. So um, speaking about the first point uh, in the insider, it said that Cheetahs was a sponsor of the event. And there we go. All the talent uh, made their way over there. I'm not going to speculate how things work in a COVID era, but uh, hopefully everyone was, was safe and uh, you know, it was a positive experience. This is another just funny thing, and it's very business. And I'm not saying this is actually true. There's just another business thing that I know a lot of businesses do. And it's, you know, probably maybe some shady practice, but you never know about money laundering and stuff of that nature. If you're going to pretend to be bigger than you are and run these big venues and nobody really shows up, but who's going to follow up? Who's going to remember that? And I don't know. You just, just to throw that out there, not to uh, stake that claim, but, you know, you never know in this crazy world. Yeah, I've had um, somebody else who's very involved in the business independently speculate that to me. Um, so if this was a visual show, cue the Kermit with the T saying that's none of my business because <laughs> I don't know. But um, <laughs> but that seems to be a theory that some others have, you know, not mine. Yes, um, definitely, definitely a plausible theory uh, for sure. And it's just one of those things like behind the scenes, it's like, wow, they're canceling out guys. So they're trying to save some money there and maybe they'll get the money back on the flights, but they obviously won't have to pay the fees of all those 12 or 13 talents that I, that I mentioned. So, you know, maybe save some money there. They knew it was going to be a loss. Maybe they're getting the venue for cheaper. So trying to save, um, some pennies, you know, or not, you know, really trying to save some thousands and thousands of dollars, I guess. But really, it's just not going to come off well that you canceled half the guys that were on the poster. Yeah. And, you know, taking any money away from talent or anyone that was counting on this to, you know, pay their rent and feed their families isn't a laughing matter. But, you know, so from overall, like some of these high profile disasters can be fun to to look at, whether it's um, Herb Abrams and the UWF. And, um, you know, I've made a friend who's, who's writing an excellent book on that. So I hope it helped to have him on the podcast one day to talk about that um, business. Or uh, I'm not sure if you remember. Um, after WCW and ECW went out of business, there was a company called MECW that they started booking the ECW arena. And they were also having shows in Indianapolis. And there was all these like name talents and following in the newsletters week to week, like all the disasters that were happening. And there's just something so entertaining about that. I love that stuff. And UWF is so interesting because it's like, how the hell did, did uh, Herb Abrams get Andre the Giant? How the hell did he get Bruno? Paul Orndorff, you know, all these guys, obviously very young, McFoley before he really made it big, but just looking back, it's like Jimmy Snook is like, wow, UWF, damn. 
yeah, it's such an interesting story, even beyond the dark side of the ring. So I'm yes. really looking forward to to that story coming out more. Now, as far as NAWA, and you said they're going to be booking a next show, I guess it's February. They're going to have another quote-unquote pay-per-view. It's going to be on Fight TV. What venue was it? And how many people does it fit? Um, so it's in North Carolina. It's one of those like mid uh, mid Atlantic venues. As I book, <laughs> as I uh, stall for time, as I look it up. But <laughs> in uh, in Raleigh, North, it says we'll see you back in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I don't have it exactly in front of me right now, but I think it's like um, a several thousand seat venue in raleigh uh let me see actually i'm gonna go to the is website. this guy like a big uh, wcw fan he wants to run all the old wcw yes, venues yeah. it seems like you kind of get a get a tour of yeah all the all the places that that make you feel good to go okay february 13th no remorse so maybe that name is sort of like uh is not a joke the dorton arena in raleigh north carolina um so let's see how big that venue is and I, I don't you know i wouldn't imagine for a venue of that size that it's especially expensive but it's quite large um 7610 seats as a, a multi-purpose arena for a promotion that basically no one's ever heard of and really during a horrible time you know covid and the pandemic where you're probably expecting a lot less people <laughs> I don't know. It seems like something is uh, awry there. That, that is not good. Yeah. And I mean, like, um, and nothing against these shows. They're really smart to do it. Like I've been, some of my favorite shows have been like in church basements or, or church halls. And that's the number that they draw, like around 75. The venue doesn't cost them much. You know, the fans are, you know, they're not too far from the ring. Everyone goes home happy. seems like everyone makes money. So if that's what you want to do, you know, you just have to find the right size venue. I know it's more challenging with COVID if you want to run. So there you probably want to find something that could seat generally 300 or 400 to, to space people out. If you're going to get 75 in the building. Man, it's like, how could you make money on that show? Just, just think about it logically. There is just no way to make money. Um, I know you obviously he's probably saved a bunch by not bringing in all those guys, but and maybe cheetahs fit the bill for some of it, but that's one of the things like, man, there's no way that they're going to be making any money on those shows. Yeah. And it would be, you know, it's a little sad when they sort of like, they announce like a name of a town and they put them on their logo and like, there's no likes or anything like that. I just wanted to like it myself just to kind of get it, get it moving a little bit. Right. And other news, the discoveries Eurosport has renewed impact. What impact pun intended there what what does that do for them and and how does that really benefit them is that a big deal not a big deal or is one of those things it's like eh, it's okay yeah i would say it's it's sort of like okay um so ensures viewers throughout india bangladesh bhutan maldives nepal pakistan and sri lanka will continue to enjoy impacts exclusive special events for multiple years so as we know um you know impact does a good deal of money um i think with sony six in india so this is sort of like an ancillary um you know uh programming in the market but i think it's like a good jumping off point to talk about sort of the strengths of impact and they've really made a lot of inroads in international markets um you know 
I don't know how much money they're making from it, but just in terms of discovery and, and sort of being out there broadly. And when you compare it to um, AEW, which is a lot younger, obviously, so they haven't sort of reached out as much, a lot of their international, you'd have to go to fight. And, you know, that doesn't mean as much. Now, AEW might be smartly holding out for sort of like bigger deals. So they're not going to just sign anything to be in a market sort of like unpaid or for, you know, um, a percentage of advertising or very small rights fee. So it might be worth their while to wait till they have a higher profile but sort of like impact we imagine it as what it is in the states but um from what's been speculated before that most of their money comes from india and they have a very large um footprint uh you know globally they list 120 countries you know what that means exactly is is unclear sort of like how do you count that but sort of like it is a known brand like i remember you know i visited family in israel years ago and pop on the TV and you're like, oh, hey, you know, there's the impact zone or whatever. So they are uh, out there. Not everything is just about the U.S. So how did Kenny Omega's return to impact to this week for Twitch? Um, so it didn't uh, it didn't pop, you know, as much, no pun intended. Uh, so um, it was about uh, so it was 14,334 uh, viewers on Twitch, you know, as a peak. Um, obviously way down from 50,000, but sort of the best that they've done outside of the week before um, for the last uh, couple of years. So it's certainly helpful, but it was interesting to see that, um, you know, a lot of people the week before sort of came over, they had their fill and they said, you know, they were done seemingly. So it'd be interesting to see if there's any further traction while Kenny Omega is there, if he's coming back week to week, or um, you know, if there's anything that continues to to resonate on Twitch's platform uh, for Impact. Funny thing is, he made a tweet, you know, the week before, you know, praising his numbers and that he's a big draw and all sorts of stuff. Obviously, a lot of that is in character, but I saw a lot of people kind of taking him to task and not being happy with that because a week later, of course, all the numbers went back down and they came back down to earth. Um, were you kind of expecting that from the uh, the Twitter nation? Um, you know, it, it's hard to you know it's hard to know like how people will be because you know they often want to get behind somebody like Kenny Omega, but he's also um, you know in character, um, and it's hard to like to feel like you could have it both ways, sort of like how Jericho does it, like when they do really well overall, um, he'll promote that when they do really well in the demo he'll promote that when they don't he'll say something doesn't matter so like if you're going to sort of like be about it then you know you have to be about it consistently as far as aew they're gonna have to bump some dynamites right uh, non-jacksonville dynamites coming where are they going to be why is this happening yes so i think it's the nba um games um so this week or um, this will have aired by the by the time it comes is the show will start at 10 or, or 10 30 so you see some disruption what's interesting is that it holds up decently when it's sort of like in these off time slots that there's a core of fans that will always sort of like be there i mean we've said that about wwe and then they left but sort of as of right now you know there's that 550 6 650 you know, uh, 650,000 fans that will sort of like, they're thirsty for it. They'll find it no matter what. It's just hard to, I mean, they had some good momentum with staying for two weeks and then it went down, but like, it's hard to continue that momentum or try and build it back up when it's in an off hour. 
Plus, they got to start doing something with the stinger. Seems like uh, the same thing three weeks in a row. You know what I mean? Like, what's uh, what's going to happen? What is what is he going to do? Is he going to do anything? Can he wrestle? Probably not. It's just uh, very interesting. Uh, I love this thing, but like, let's uh, let's see if they're going to do anything and move this uh, story forward at all. So what I've been thinking back is, you know, remember he was in the rafters and how mm-hmm. that felt like it was for over two years. It might have been a shorter amount of time, but oh no, it was it was almost a year. Yeah, almost yep. a year. Okay, so right, like you know, with Tony Khan being a big obviously WCW fan at the time, um, you know, that might be something where you build to it. So, uh, you know, I don't think you need a resolution, but, you know, if it's something that's being repeated week to week, you know, you'll see that the results won't be um, so positive. WCW did do it very well, having him do little things here and there with the bat and turning his back on people. It was very well done. So let's let's see what the, I'm not giving up on it quite yet with AEW, but let's see um, what they're going to do. Obviously, no offense to Team Taz and, and the guys surrounding him, but this is not the NWO. So no offense. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> He's got not as bigger of guys to work with. No, I'm, but I am getting into the the whole Taz thing, you know. Oh no, I, I love it, but I'm just yeah. just thinking like, okay, these guys aren't, uh, you know, the NWO by any stretch. But I do like those three guys, and obviously, a Taz is great. Yeah, there's something appealing about the whole dynamic there. Damn it! I wish Taz could still wrestle. Um, obviously, that was a. Uh, I think he retired in 02, but um, I just still wish he could still get out there. But I digress. Let's talk a little bit about NXT the AEW rival. They're getting their own NXT, right? They're getting a kind of a quote-unquote junior show. Where is this going to be? What's the strategy behind an NXT for NXT? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, you know, of course, NXT was supposed to be the developmental league, but then it under Triple H became the third brand, which is great. You know, it really grew into it. At the time when they started booking these big venues, we forget about it. Like, who who was able to do that that wasn't raw or smackdown brands um and even smackdown times would be a struggle and you know wrestlemania weekend SummerSlam weekends they'd sell out like the barclay center or something like that so sort of like they grew into something else and there had been these touring regular touring shows sort of on the grapefruit league they called it um the grapefruit circuit in, in florida where you'd have these small shows that weren't promoted just to give the guys and the women work um but now sort of they're, they're thinking about like having uh, a regular weekly show that um uh you know uh, gets everyone exposure and, and consistency so uh, gabe sapolsky was sort of downplaying it but you know if, if you're behind it you know you probably would unless you're announcing it but um you know it'll be interesting to see if if it starts in the network and they grow it out, you know, I'm sure they're not going to turn down money if, if somebody wants to pay them for it. And I was joking that um, once AEW announces their second show that we'll start hearing that it's on Fox Sports 1 or Fox Sports 2, that there's this new NXT uh, coming to television to sort of like uh, lower the ratings there. And that'll be interesting with Gabe Sapolsky taking the lead. Obviously, he's got a ton, a ton of experience, worked for ECW, head booker for Ring of Honor during their glory days and evolve. So, I mean, that is a good choice and interesting to see what he'll be able to do. 
yeah, I think um, he has a great eye for talent. Um, some of the sort of like the business practices um, that were public about, you know, Evolve and WWN were, uh, you know, controversial and so on. But I don't think he has to worry about that right now, but sort of like utilizing his mind, um, uh, you know, to to promote something like this. I think that's a great use of his talents. I remember um going to the last or second to last ECW pay-per-view and probably he was there for both of them, but like he was, when you were leaving the venue, he was handing out flyers for whatever they were promoting at the time. So he's really um, worked very hard for, for 25 or 30 years to get where he is and uh, good for him. With the WWE, they of course have many different programs and many different things going on what is the deputy employee assistance program yes so um it's it's interesting because it's it sort of makes sense uh, a lot of human resources are, are doing this now sort of like if you could keep your employees healthy then you know they'll be at their best they'll do their best work but it's sort of it feels a little bit disingenuous when compared to the independent contractors, the wrestlers and what they've had to go through. Apparently things are getting better there, but when you read it, it just sort of like strikes one as, as interesting. So WWE offers our employees and their family members access to employee assistance program, EAP, to support them through a full range of real world everyday situations, including health and wellness, financial and legal concerns, grief and loss, education, professional development, and more. The program is available 24-7 and allows employees access to a professional counselor and our work-life specialist who can assist on a variety of topics to help them live their best life. Hashtag where champions work. Hashtag EAP. Interesting. And very helpful uh, to their employees, I guess, right? Yeah. So I actually had, um, not, not that they're taking my idea, but I had an idea sort of like, would I work for WWE and what would I do? So my my profession is as like uh, a career coach, employment person, like career training, you know, that sort of thing. So at the time, especially seeing like a movie like The Wrestler or we know it, that, you know, people struggle to acclimate to sort of like real life, quote unquote, after they're done. And this isn't exclusive to wrestling. The NBA quietly has a program, um, you know, like this, where they help athletes transitioning to other work. You know, not everyone... Um, a, if they didn't save, and B, you know, not everyone made multiple millions or a million that they made. If you stretch it out over the next 40 years, you know, how long will it last? So, um, you know, I had thought about a program where they would help the independent contractors transition more. But here it looks like, uh, you know, support to employees, which is great. You know, any company that does that, hopefully that they'll build out more for the independent contractors or one day call them employees. So with WWE, India also has something interesting going on. Is this a, a game? What's going on over in WWE India? Yeah, so of course, you know, um, uh, many are aware at this point that there's a planned w WWE NXT India. So sort of a develop 
developmental program there, which makes a lot of sense because when you look at sort of, you know, their popularity, like as we talked about YouTube, you know, great Kali or, um, you know, even a wrestler that signed in developmental there or was on like women's, um, the Mae Young Classic, they'll be getting millions of views as compared to other wrestlers. People in India want to know what, what people from their native country are up to sort of in the big leagues. So I think like, Firstly, having a developmental league in a country where it's really popular marketing to it makes a lot of sense. It seemed like Rinka King um, worked well for what it was. It wasn't renewed, but Jeff Jarrett has that experience. So if he wants to sort of give that institutional knowledge for whatever it's worth. But like, but when you have something where people know it's developmental, it's not as exciting, right? Like, let's say you love um, Real Madrid or whatever the big football clubs are in, in Europe. And... Here you have Major League Soccer, which has gained a lot of traction. You still sort of know, like, where are the biggest stars? And you can't make that as big. So hopefully their expectations with that are sort of balanced. But what I found really interesting as we're talking about sort of like focusing on the Indian market, that WWE Racing Showdown is not only made in India, it's being marketed in India, and it's being piloted in India. So it really feels it might migrate to the U.S. And, or other places, but it really feels like something specifically for the Indian market, um, besides just a television program that's translated or, or now um, wrestling matches that will be for the market. So it kind of feels like that they're going more in on this popular market. Um, and let's see what happens with that, if there's other opportunities that will break in India. And it's just an interesting market over there, right? I mean, there is wrestling fans, believe it or not. It seems like a uh, maybe a untapped market for them. So, you know, I'd have to see the ratings, but like, you know, sort of like the feeling is that like they're very popular over there. Um, definitely more so sort of like per capita than other markets. Um, but the challenge is always that, um, you know, the disparity in wealth, you know, there's some very wealthy people and um, there's people that are struggling very much like the, the poverty line is, is so far below that in the U.S. that it's almost incomprehensible. But there is an emerging middle class. So you sort of have to um, sort of like find that balance, not only in terms of like aggregate fans, like the quantitative number but qualitative not in terms of person but in terms of revenue source for, for those people that that have the money that that can pay for what you're trying to sell them whether it's um you know video game downloads or um or uh, whatever source of, of WWE Network or subscribing to whatever platforms that you want them to pay. If you have, you know, 20 million people, but they're going to be just watching on YouTube, that's helpful, but it's hard to sort of drive revenue in that way if, if they don't go anywhere else. One of those things where it's like, you never know what's going to be uh, an untapped market. Somebody's out there figuring it out and researching it, and that, that could be a good one. Another place could be South Korea, right? Yes, so um, WWE recently um, signed a deal with IB in uh, South Korea. What I found interesting about it, um, they're expanding their content, but there will also be um, uh, an IB um, streaming component to it as well. So um, they air Raw, SmackDown, um, NXT, um, and uh, it'll be and NXT will be available for the first time on broadcast television. So it really sort of internationally 
um, consistent with nationally here that it's um, sort of becoming that known third brand. And then we were talking about international touring. You know, if that starts taking off, um, then, you know, that's that's another revenue source or opportunity. They also air shows that we don't think about much, like Afterburn and Bottom Line. Sometimes I forget that those actually exist somewhere. Also, the programs will be available on their TV Everywhere platform, which is um, you know over-the-top streaming, and they have a 14-day video-on-demand catch-up window. So there's a, a big footprint in South Korea. Man, did we cover a lot today? I mean, we talked all about rethinking major live events. We talked about AEW, talked about NXT and maybe a junior NXT, talked about NAWA, South Korea, Eurosport for Impact. We talked about WB India. I mean, man, Omega on uh, Twitch, Omega helping Impact and then kind of being deflated. The Stinger, I mean, we talked about a ton of stuff today, but I think it's time to get into the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. You can go to my website, tmptempire.com, for all the latest from the Two Man Power Trips podcasting empire. Lavi, what do you got? Sure. So follow me on Twitter, Lavi Marg, L A V I E M A R G. Go to my website, lioncubjobsearch.com, and you can check out my books on Amazon, Trump Mania 2020 Election Special Edition. If you're in need of some interviewing or career help, you could see my books on there as well. Gotta love it. Those books are great. I highly recommend Trump Mania, and then obviously Trump Mania, the Election Edition, right? Can't go wrong with either one of those. Yes, you know, uh, take your pick. The first edition is a little bit more lighthearted, and then the second edition is uh, a lot heavier on research. So you might want both, but uh, choose what works for you. I know I catch you off guard with this one, but what are you thinking about for next week's show? I, I'm prepared. I'm more prepared this week. So, you know, there, <laughs> so there's always potential news that will break and we'll be there to cover it, uh, even during the holidays, as we said. But I think it's a good time to to look ahead, to think back on who is what they've done during the coronavirus and who's best positioned for the future. You know, will WWE take off when they have fans bringing their excitement? They called it the, they said their fans are their rocket fuel in a article uh, recently in a Tampa Bay newspaper. Um, will Ring of Honor be able to capitalize on Maria Canellas having this fan experience? Um, MLW, will they return to are, uh, smaller clubs or arenas that you know bring that excitement. AEW, they have about seven or eight live events still on the books that had um, uh, good attendances, so they're going to have to bump that. But kind of thinking about all those things and what 2021 will look for all of the major U.S. companies. Sounds great um, as far as that. I absolutely love that because it's going to be uh, kind of an interesting look. Who's up, who's down, who's hot, who's not. And who's doing well during COVID? And who, like you said, who is definitely positioned to go to the next level? So thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. And we will join you right back here next week for the business of the business. See you next week, folks.